that we have a, a, big, a bigger family now back to be with us. It's a good day here at Seven Oaks, a good day to spend in worship. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Haggai, if you would. Haggai chapter 2, and we're going to continue our study of this book in verses 10 through 19, if you'll join me there. Appreciate JT reading that for us, Haggai chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 19, continuing to walk through the book of Haggai together, thinking about this overall topic of rebuilding. Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. I read a story about a man whose doctor told him he needed to go on a diet. His doctor told him that he needed to lose just a little bit of weight, so he did. He took his doctor's advice very seriously. Every day at lunch, at work, he would go into the lunchroom, he would sit down and eat just a little salad, even though he didn't even like salad. He would eat just a a little salad. That's how dedicated he was. All of his co-workers saw it. They recognized it. Because before, he would bring in, no telling what kinds of food, he would bring in large amounts of food. They were always impressed about what he was able to eat at lunchtime, and now he has just these little salads. They were constantly encouraging him, constantly patting him on the back, wanting him to continue to do well. Everybody thought that the weight was just going to fall off of him. Fast forward a few weeks, he remained the same size. Fast forward a few months, He still remained the same size. One day, about six months after he started his diet, he was sitting in the lunchroom at work eating a small little salad like he did every other day. And one of his best friends at work came and sat down beside him. Hey, I can see that you're still doing really well. You're six months into this diet, he said. How much weight have you lost? You could tell that he was discouraged with a sigh. He said, not a pound. I haven't lost one single pound. Well, why is that? His friend asked. Why, why haven't you lost any weight? It seems like you've been so committed and it seems like you've been doing so well. He threw up his hand and said, I have no idea. I don't know why I haven't lost anything. You see it. Every single day I come in here and I eat a small salad even though I don't like it so that I can go home every evening and eat my regular double cheeseburger, large fries, and hot fudge sundae. I don't understand. I don't know why it's not working. Well, you can see why it's not working, can't you? It doesn't take a dietitian to figure that one out. If you're going to commit yourself to a diet, if you're going to commit yourself to losing weight, even though you might be eating a lot of good foods, you also have to cut out the bad foods. In fact, it doesn't matter how much good food you eat. It doesn't matter how much healthy food you take in if you're going to continue to eat bad food, if you're going to continue to eat unhealthy food. If you don't cut out the bad, even if you're doing a lot of good, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to progress. You're not going to go forward. Either you're going to stay the same or even worse, you're going to go backwards. I think when we come to Haggai chapter 2, verses 10-19, through 19, we find a situation that's very similar. When you look at the date of Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 10, you find that this is about two months after what we studied last week in the first nine verses of Haggai chapter 2. We're about four months removed from the events of chapter 1. From where the book started, we've covered about four months in time. 
The people of Judah have returned from Babylonian captivity. They returned to the destroyed city of Jerusalem. Back in chapter 1, their priorities were out of whack, and we talked about that. They were rebuilding their own lives. They were rebuilding their own homes. While neglecting God's house, God calls on them to change. He calls on them to shift their priorities. So that's, that's exactly what they did. In verse 14, the Bible says they came and worked on the Lord, the, the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And that's what they'd been doing for about four months. They were doing what God told them to do. They were rebuilding the house of the Lord. They made that their number one pursuit. They made that their number one priority. Yet when you come to Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19, there's a problem. And perhaps you noticed in our scripture reading, that problem is their sin. It's like what we mentioned just a minute ago with the man going on the diet. The people of Judah had committed themselves to going on a diet. They had committed themselves to eating really good and healthy foods. The problem is that they didn't cut out the bad, unhealthy foods. Oh, they, they had committed themselves to rebuilding the temple. And they had been involved in that for about four months if you go all the way back to chapter 1. They made that their number one priority. They made that their number one pursuit. And that was a good thing. They were doing the Lord's work. They were doing exactly what God commanded them to do through His mouthpiece, through the prophet Haggai. The problem is that they were continuing to live in sin at the same time. Even though they were rebuilding the temple, they were continuing to live in sin, wickedness, evil, and iniquity. And because of that, it doesn't matter how much time they put into rebuilding the temple. It doesn't matter how many times they say, this is our number one priority. This is what our heart's going to be set on. It doesn't matter how much energy and time they invested into this project that God told them to do. If they were going to continue to live in sin, they weren't going to get anywhere. They weren't going to progress they weren't going to move forward. If sin was going to continue to dominate their lives, they were only going to go backwards. What about us? In Mayfield, we find ourselves at the beginning of a rebuilding process. And what we've been saying throughout the book of Haggai is that we have to keep first things first. As we rebuild our community, we have to remember that our first priority is rebuilding God's house. Strengthening His church. Strengthening our relationships with Him. Strengthening our relationships with one another. That has to be our number one priority. That has to be our number one pursuit. But when we come to Haggai chapter 2, verses 10-19, through 19, we, can find, we can do that all that we want to. We can claim that all that we want to. But if we continue to live in sin if we refuse to repent of our sins, if we continue to allow sin to dominate our lives, we're not going to get anywhere. Even the good that we do is going to be turned into bad. In this text, God wants to speak to the people of Judah about their sin. And so let's take some time to walk through this. What does God want them to understand? What does God want the people of Judah to understand about their sin, what does He want us to understand about our sin? I think the first idea that 
God presents through Haggai to the people of Judah is in verses 10 through 14, sin spreads. If you go to Haggai chapter 2 and, and we go back to verse number 11 for just a second, we find that God commands Haggai to speak directly to the priest. Which this is different than what we've seen so far throughout this book. Usually Haggai is speaking to the leadership. Remember Zerubbabel and Joshua? He's speaking to the remnant of the people. Well, here in chapter 2 and verse 11, God says, I want you to go speak to the priest. Even though they didn't have a temple, the priests were still active. They were still active in teaching the Word of God. They were still active in making sacrifices on the people's behalf. They were the experts of the Old Testament law. If you had a question about the Bible, if you had a question about the Old Testament law, the priests were the individuals that you would go to. You would ask them that question and they would be able to answer it for you. And so it, it makes sense for God to say, Hey Haggai, I want you to go to the priest and I want you to ask them two questions. I want you to go to the priest and ask them about two hypothetical situations. And from those hypothetical situations, he's going to make a very specific point. The first question, as we read a moment ago, comes in chapter 2 and verse 12. Haggai asked, if someone carries holy meat... Uh, imagine this scene. Here's the prophet Haggai. He has the priest gathered around him. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? Holy is the key word there. In the Hebrew mind, holiness is the idea of being set apart. Being set apart for a specific task or being set apart for a specific purpose. Under the Old Testament law, if someone or something was made holy, whatever it came into contact with was also made holy. The holiness would spread on a secondary level. You can see that with the priests in their garments, Exodus 29.31. The sacred altar, Exodus 29.27. The sacred utensils, Exodus 30.29. And the sacred offerings, which has bearing on this text in Leviticus 6, verse 11, and also verse 20. But if you look really closely at Haggai's question, he's not asking about secondary contact. He's talking about tertiary contact. Contact that happens on the third level. What if someone's carrying holy meat in the fold of his garment? And then he removes the holy meat and offers that to God. He takes the garment and, and places that on top of the food that's sitting on your plate in front of you. The question is, is that food going to become holy? Is it going to become set apart? And the priest answered that question correctly, no. It's not going to become holy. Holiness spreads at a secondary level. The Old Testament teaches us that. But it is not going to spread at the third level. Well, in contrast to that question, we find a second question. The first one sets up the second one in chapter 2 and verse 13. This is really the main point that Haggai wants to make. If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, any of this food, does it become unclean? What's the answer? Will you go to Numbers chapter 19 and verse 11? Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean for seven days. Then you skip down just a few verses to Numbers 19.22. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and anyone who touches it shall be unclean until evening. What's the answer according to Numbers chapter 19? If, you're, if you touch a dead body under the Old Testament law, 
and then you go and touch some food that's sitting in a person's plate, will the food become unclean? Will that uncleanness transfer? And the priest once again answered the question correctly, yes it will. It will transfer. The food will become unclean. Even though the holiness wouldn't spread at that level, the uncleanness will spread at that level. The uncleanness will spread from the dead body to my hands to the food that's sitting in front of you on your plate. So here's these hypothetical situations. These two questions that Haggai has asked to the priest and they've answered them correctly. What's the point that Haggai's wanting to make? Look at the very next verse. Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 14. He says, so is it. You understand these two questions? Holiness won't spread at the third level, but uncleanness will spread at the third level. So is it with this people. Once again, we saw it in chapter 1 and verse 2. God doesn't say, my people. He says, this people. So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Imagine how that would have been such a shocking message to the people of Judah. God, do you not see what we're doing here? For four months, we've been on working on rebuilding the temple. We've considered our ways. We've changed our priorities. We're rebuilding your house. We are your holy people who have set their sights on a holy task. We're rebuilding your holy house. So shouldn't that holiness spread to every other area of our lives? Because we're involved in this holy task of rebuilding the temple, shouldn't that holiness spread everywhere else among us? God says it doesn't work that way. He says, because your lives are unclean, everything that you touch becomes unclean. He says, because you're living in sin, because your lives are unclean, everything that you do is unclean. Even the good things are turned bad. And notice in this verse, he even talks about worship. He says, because your lives are unclean, the sacrifices, the worship that you offer to me is unclean. Even though they were doing a really good thing, they hadn't eliminated the bad thing. And because of that, they could invest as much time into rebuilding the temple as they wanted to. It wasn't going to make a bit of difference. Because they were choosing to live in sin. Because they were choosing to live in sin, even the good things that they did were turned bad. Even the holy things that they did became unclean when they put their hands to do them. Again, they weren't going forwards. They weren't progressing. They were only going backwards. Why is that? Because sin spreads. Sin spreads in ways that even holiness doesn't spread. I think we need to realize that in our lives, don't you? Sin spreads. Maybe you've heard the story of King Midas. Without going into too much detail, we know the basic premise of that story, right? King Midas made a wish. He wished for everything that he touched to be turned into gold. Well, he found out that wasn't quite the blessing he thought it was going to be. It turned out to actually be a curse. He ended up wanting to get rid of it. But when you think about that story, the main idea, everything that he lays his hands on becomes gold. What Haggai says to the people of Judah and what he says to us today is that sin is the same way. Sin spreads. 
Whenever your life is unclean, whatever you lay your hands on is going to become unclean. Whenever your life is unclean, whatever you do, whatever you commit yourself to, whatever decisions you make are going to become unclean in the sight of God. Whenever your life is unclean, even your worship becomes unclean. We're doing a good thing here today in worshiping our God. But if you're allowing sin to dominate your life, the worship that you're offering to God is not acceptable to Him. It's something that is disgraceful to Him. It's something that is disgusting to Him. Because when our lives are unclean, everything becomes unclean. Sin spreads. We might think of it the opposite way. That sometimes I do some bad things and what I'm going to do is I'm going to make up for that by doing some good things. I commit these sins and I'm going to try to weigh out the balance by doing some good things. God wants the people of Judah to understand and He wants us to understand that it really doesn't work that way. Whenever our lives are unclean, everything we do, everything we touch, the worship that we offer becomes unclean. Nothing in your life is going to be acceptable to God as long as you allow sin to dominate you. As long as you allow sin to dominate your choices and to dominate your decisions, sin spreads. The second idea that he wants to present to the people of Judah is not just that sin spreads, but sin impacts. Sin impacts our lives in powerful ways. Maybe even ways that we don't recognize. In Haggai 2, verses 15-19, through 19, he returns back to a command that, he saw in cha- that we saw in chapter 1. Remember how God told them, consider your ways. Rethink your priorities. Think about what you're doing. Think about your decisions. You find that command again here, once in verse 15, twice in verse 18, three times in just a few verses. Do we need to pay attention to it? He looks at the people of Judah and says, I want you to consider. Pause. Think about your lives for just a second. Think about the kind of decisions that you're making. And specifically, he wants them to think about how their lives are going. What kind of track their lives are on. And what we're going to see, what God says to the people of Judah, is that their lives weren't going so well. And it was because of their sin. Their sin was impacting them in ways that they didn't even recognize. The first thing that he says in verses 15 through 17, he talks about sin's impact before they started rebuilding God's house before they started rebuilding the temple. Back in chapter 1, when their priorities were out of whack and they were so busy rebuilding their own homes and their own lives, notice verse number 15, Now then consider, think about it, from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord. In other words, before you began rebuilding God's house, the question is, verse 16, how did you fare? How was your life going? Well, when they think back, on that time four months ago, they thought back on the grain harvest. Whenever they went out to get grain from the harvest, they expected to receive 20 measures. But they only received 10. It was cut by 50%. Whenever they went out to get grapes to make wine in their grape harvest, they expected 50 measures. But they only received 20. It was cut, this time, by 60%. They were experiencing all kinds of different things when it came to their crops. Their crops in verse 17 were struck with blight, sun. They were struck with mildew, disease. 
They were struck with natural disasters. Hell would rain down from the sky and just destroy their crops. Why did all that happen? Was it just a bad luck? Was it just a bad planting season? Was it just coincidence? No, God says in 17, I struck you. He says, I did all of this to you, and yet you didn't turn back to me. He says, I caused all of this difficulty to happen in your life as a result of your sin, and you still refuse to repent. You still refuse to turn from those sinful, wicked ways that you were living in. Their sin impacted them before they started rebuilding God's house. But now it's better, right? They fixed that. They've shifted their priorities. They've considered their ways. For four months, they've been working on rebuilding the house of the Lord. Things should be better. But when we look in verses 18 through 19, we find that they're not. This is not just about sin's impact on them before they started rebuilding the temple, but also after they started rebuilding the temple. He says in 18, consider, once again, think about this, from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. In other words, since you've started rebuilding here, Since you've started rebuilding God's house and you made that your number one priority, take a minute to think. Here's the question. Is the seed yet in the barn? In this time of year, the seed should have been in the barn. Their barn should have been overflowing with seed. God says, go out and look in your barn. Are you going to find any seed there? Once again, gives the answer. Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree, which would have usually yielded a lot, He says, they've yielded you nothing. It's not just like what we said before they started rebuilding. They they got some out of the harvest before they started rebuilding. He says now they're yielding absolutely nothing. There's no seed in the barn. Whether we're talking about before they started rebuilding the temple, whether we're talking about after they started rebuilding the temple, their lives weren't going so well. They didn't have what they needed. They didn't have what they expected. Especially when it came to their crops, which would have been their survival. That would have been their livelihood. That would have been what they put on the table every single day and made money from. Their sin impacted their lives in powerful ways. Ways that really hurt them, and maybe even ways that they didn't recognize. Number two, sin impacts. It impacts our lives I don't know if you remember this or you've seen this picture before, but on November 23rd of 2016, there was a fire in the Great Smoky Mountains just right outside of Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And it caused so much damage. It caused so much destruction. There were about 19 people who were killed. There were 191 people who were severely injured. About 2,500 structures, including people's homes, were burnt to the ground. It cost about $2 billion in damages. Inside of the National Park, about 11,000 acres were burned up. And outside of the National Park, an additional 6,000 acres were burned up. The wildfire impacted that area in so many different ways. How did it start? Just like any other fire, it started with one spark. One spark led to $2 billion in damages, 17,000 acres being damaged, 2,500 buildings being destroyed, and 19 people losing their lives. And so the question is, how does sin impact our lives? 
we might be tempted to think that it doesn't really impact our lives. Or we might be tempted to think that, you know, if, if sin does impact my life, it's just little. It's not really significant because it's just one little sin, right? It's just one word. It's just one joke. It's just one video online. It's just peeping and looking at one picture, right? Nobody knows about it. It's a secret. Nobody else sees what I'm doing. Nobody else knows what I'm doing. And I've only done it once or twice. Maybe three times. I'm never going to do it again, at least. That's what we tell ourselves, isn't it? What kind of impact does sin have on our lives? I would suggest to you that just like one spark caused so much damage in Gatlinburg and the Great Smoky Mountains and it impacted them in a lot of different ways, I would suggest to you that just one, what we might call little sin, has the power to impact our lives in ways that we don't even understand. Ways that we don't even recognize. Powerful way. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that every single bad thing you go through is a result of your sin. That's not true. It wasn't true with Job. Read the story of Job. It wasn't true with him. He was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And it certainly wasn't that way with our Lord Jesus. The difficulty he went through wasn't a result of his sin. It's not true all the time, but in Scripture it is true some of the time. So maybe we need to do what the people of Judah were doing. We need to pause and we need to think. We need to consider, how are you faring? What is your life like? What's going on in your life? Do you have some things in your life that you're not receiving? Do you have some things in your life that you need but don't have? Are you expecting a certain outcome, but then that outcome doesn't happen? Maybe it's a question to consider. Could that be a result of sin in your life that you need to get rid of? Take some time to think about it because sin is powerful. Sin spreads. Sin impacts. But the good news in this text, and I think what God wants us to hear, what He wants the people of Judah to hear from this text is that sin can be overcome. God demonstrates that powerfully at the end of verse 19. Notice you find just the last sentence there, but. That's a big little word. He says, here's how sin is, is spread in your life. And here's how sin has impacted your life in so many different ways. But, in contrast to all of that, from this day on, I will bless you. I think the unspoken assumption in this text is that the people of Judah were ready to turn away from their sin. They were ready to repent. They were ready to leave their sin in the past. And as a result of that, God was ready to bless them. He was capable. He was able to pour out tremendous blessing on His people. And so He says, as a result of your repentance from this day on, here's where the line is drawn in the sand. Here's where everything becomes different. Here's where everything becomes new. Sin is spread. Sin has impacted you. But know that sin can be overcome. The only way that sin can be overcome, according to this text, is by accessing and experiencing God's blessing. Certainly we have to repent. And the people of Judah had to repent. They had to turn away from their sin. God has been calling them to do that throughout this entire text. But the only way they could truly overcome their sin is by experiencing the tremendous blessings of their God. So take a minute to think about your daily life. Can you see some of these things pop up? 
Can you see how sin is spread in your relationships, in your home, where you work, where you go to school? Can you see how sin is spread in your life? Can you see how your sin has impacted you? Where some things are going wrong, and, and perhaps the root cause of that is because I'm not willing to let go of this sin that's negatively impacting my life in so many different ways. What's the good news? How can we walk away from this text with hope? We have to realize that sin can be overcome. It's like this. Imagine that I have a bottle sitting in my hand and it's filled with poison. And it's like this picture. On the bottle, there's a picture of a skull and a crossbones and in big letters it says, poison, do not drink. But I'm thirsty. I want something to drink and you do too. So I'm going to take this bottle of poison outside. I'm going to pour the poison in the grass and get rid of, get rid of all of the poison, get rid of all of the bad stuff. And I'm going to come back inside and take that very same bottle and fill it up at the water fountain and get a nice drink of water. Would you drink out of that bottle with me? I hope that you wouldn't. And not just because of, you know, I might have cooties. But because that bottle is contaminated. Even though the water's really pure and the water's good to drink, if you put it in a contaminated bottle, the water is going to become contaminated. If you want to drink a water, do you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to get a brand new bottle. You're going to have to go get a brand new bottle, fill that up with water. The water's going to be clean and you're going to be able to drink it. Now parallel that into your life. If you're living in sin right now, that sin is contaminating you just like that poison contaminates the inside of that bottle. It's spreading it's impacting your life in so many different ways. And we have the responsibility to pour out the poison, don't we? We have the responsibility to repent of our sin, to turn away from our sin, to get rid of the bad stuff. God has commanded all people everywhere that they must repent in Acts 17 and verse 30. But the only way that we can truly overcome our sin is if we go and get a brand new bottle. The only way that we can truly overcome our sin is if we allow God to transform us from the inside out. The only way that we can overcome the sin that spreads and the sin that impacts is by accessing and experiencing the blessing of our God. What does Paul say? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and the new has come. The only way that we can overcome sin is by the blessing of our God. So we realize where we are. We realize that in Mayfield we're beginning this rebuilding process and we realize we have to keep first things first. We have to continue to prioritize rebuilding God's house, strengthening our relationships with Him and our relationships with one another. But listen, you can commit yourself to that. You can talk about that all day long. But if you're going to continue to hold on to your sin, it's not going to get you anywhere. Sin is powerful. It spreads. It impacts. But it can be overcome. It can be overcome by accessing and experiencing the tremendous blessing of our God. So where are you this morning? Maybe you find yourself in a spot where it's time to commit your life to Jesus. You've been kicking that can down the road for several weeks, several months, maybe several years. Is it time now to put on Christ in baptism? 
Is it time now to start asking those questions? Dedicate your life to Him and access all spiritual blessings that are found in Him? Or maybe you're living in sin and you can relate to the people of Judah and you see it spread and you see it impacting you. We'd love to help you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you. Today could be the day. Listen, today could be the day where the line is drawn in the sand. Today could be the day where God looks at you and says, but from this day on, I will bless you. Will it be today? As we stand and as we sing. busy ways working for the master giving him the praise earnest in his vineyard honoring his laws faithful to his counsel watchful for his cause who will follow Jesus who will make reply I am on the Lord's side master here am I who will follow Jesus? Who will make reply? I am on the Lord's side. Master, here am I. Who will follow Jesus in his work of love? Leading others to him, lifting prayers above. Courage, faithful servant, in his word we see. On our side forever will the Savior be. Who will follow Jesus? Who will make reply? I am on the Lord's side. Master, here am I. Who will follow Jesus? Who will make reply? I am on the Lord's side. Master, here am I. You may be seated. 